got Justin Hochberg, CEO and co-founder of Virtual Brand Group, a disruptor in the metaverse space. Dare I say, meta is better. And we're going to let Justin tell us about metatainment. There's all my puns. I'm done. I won't go on any further. Why don't you do a quick overview of your company and yourself, not stuff that we can find online, and then we'll get right into it. I run a company that does one thing very simply, and it solves many problems with one sentence. We put you in the metaverse. Today, the metaverse has almost reached a Saturday Night Live level of sort of skit-like nature in terms of its use, reuse, misuse. It's almost a joke as a term. The question is, what is the metaverse? And a lot of people might say it's crypto, blockchain, social gaming, you know, or go down the list. That's all possible. The number one thing the metaverse is, is one word, confusing. When you say the metaverse, it's like saying, what is life? There are so many different executions on it. And so what we have identified as a massive opportunity is the following. If you are a brand of any nature, from Porsche to Polaroid, of entertainment or sports, you now thought you had your business organized. You were in e-com and you were in retail and you did events at South by Southwest and maybe you had a catalog and you did social and maybe if you're really advanced, you did live streaming, which by the way, they've been doing in 10 years for China, but maybe you did all that. And today you wake up and you're like, wow, we thought we were an omnipresent brand. And all of a sudden we are not because we are missing out on hundreds and hundreds of millions of consumers that are spending tens, hundreds of hours a month on platforms like Roblox, Sandblox, Decentraland, et cetera. So I have a background in three things, technology, storytelling, and brands. I worked at Microsoft for five years, I produced Hollywood movies and TV shows for 20 years, and I worked with 150 to 200 brands. And so the convergence of those things is the metaverse. And so we basically say to brands, look, this is a brand new world. You do not have the skill set to figure out how to do there, nor do you want to spend the money or time to figure out where to be and how to do it. So we, oper- we basically operate their businesses in the metaverse. We take all the operational risk by becoming a licensee of them and then building out their presence in first Roblox or first Sandbox. And then we operate a proprietary set of technology that allows us to create the assets once and then spin them into any way we possibly can. And that is the nature of what we do. We launched with Forever 21, but the bigger ambition is to be the premier brand metaverse creation company. Okay, let's make sense of this. So I'm going to say something, and if it's yes, nod, and if it's no, we'll come back to it. Are you meta as a service? So I'm not yes sure or what no. that means. Yes. Okay, so let's come back to it. Let's, let's come back unpack. to it. Let's come back to it because, yeah, uh, we it's confusing. So let's talk about that later because you're an outsourced meta operator. So to me, it's a mass service, but but maybe not. Let me try to connect some dots because I'm old and people who watch me may not understand it like I barely do. 
So I'm going to do an if then, and I'm going to start one place and end up at what you do. And, and then you tell me I'm wrong. So if Meta started in the gaming world on Roblox, where you have a community and basically the new playground in gamification, community and communication, let's use the word that let's focus in, let's take Meta out of the narrative and use gamification. Okay. So if we, if we saying that game gamification of these personas in the gaming world are kind of our starting point, the birth of what we are talking about now. So we're taking that and we're saying Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook is saying that thing where you were running around killing each other and, and as avatars can now be a business meeting. And you're saying that thing where you guys have avatars and you're running around can now be a shopping experience. And within those worlds, there is a there there are activities like the gamification from the start. The meeting is whatever it is. The Forever Twenty One is a interactive. I made a shop and I'm doing this and I'm. It has these characteristics, and I get to levels. Is it okay to for someone to process this to think Meta is the gamification, the sort of alter ego, that avatar-driven game level type of persona of everything that we do in any capacity, brands, sports, concerts. We're going to see it. We're going to see this alternative universe up here, right, wrong, thoughts. Okay. And just one clarification. When you said meta at the end, you didn't mean the company. You meant the metaverse. Right. Okay. So- I think that you have identified one leg of a stool, which is one aspect of the metaverse is the 3D virtual experience, whether it be a Forever 21 game, like say Disneyland is a much more immersive retail experience than the Nike store, right? You walk into Disney, there's goofy, there's popcorn smells, there's rides, and there's monetization opportunities everywhere from fast passes to mugs to, to hotels. So that is what Roblox is, a immersive experience that people spend time in, not just transacting like on e-com, but living, making friends. As David, the founder of Roblox calls it, it's a socialization platform. So that is social gaming. One. There's a whole nother set of what the metaverse is, which is the decentralization of assets. So that would be in the NFT of it all, right? So you own, whether you're an artist or whether you own Mickey Mouse or whether you own, a, a, you want a, you know, you, you want your engagement letter or note, you can turn that into a asset that has a set of rules that can be sold, resold under certain conditions, right? So that is another set of things. Then there is another set of things which are, um, so if Roblox is a walled garden, you can't take what's in Roblox and put it on Meta or put it on Fortnite, just like Fortnite can't translate, that's a walled garden. There are unwalled gardens. So there are things like Decentraland or Sandbox where you can take an asset and move it around. So it is a cross section of a variety of things. And ultimately the big story that is yet to be figured out is 
Will the metaverse become a set of walled gardens like Facebook and Apple have created in the internet? Or will it become an open platform like the internet used to be when we started, where it felt anybody could do it and anybody could build and you were trapped into four different things? And that is the soul of the fight right now. I think the answer is both, but I don't want to lose. I want everyone to really understand. So meta metaverse, the metaverse is a place of intangibility that is becoming, that is equally as important as our tangible life. How's that? Yes. That's not bad. Can I make a slight not uh, bad. upgrade? Can I, can I make a slight upgrade? I love it. Take it. The metaverse is a series of technologies that people are using to build a variety of experiences that have different economic models. So that's from the B2B standpoint, and it makes sense. But if you want to explain to your grandma what the metaverse is, you want to talk about it from the customer journey standpoint, which is it's an alternate space where we're recreating the kind of interactions that we have here from playgrounds, socialization. I like that, David. Kudos to David. And also ownership. So it does, we don't have to decide today if it's walled or not walled. Those are all like B2B things that people are fighting about, Jack Dorsey on Twitter, et cetera, and so on. That's fine. In the meanwhile, while it sorts itself out, it's basically an alternate place, an alternate space where you can actually take on a persona, many personas and different types of tr personas and interact in different ways. And one of those ways is to uh, have a persona that owns something, which is known as, as art, referred to as an NFT. Yes. And the one slight modification I would say is at present, it is generally a recreation of what the world is that we see today. However, what is really happening very quickly and has been for a while is that it is not just a recreation, it is an improvement over the world that we see today. So you touched upon self-expression. I think most studies show that Gen Z and millennials, self-expression is one of the top attributes that they care about. We've seen a lot of change in media in terms of body positivity and different voices and multiculturalism in content, whether it be TV, film, et cetera. So one of the greatest things about the metaverse is I can be whoever I feel like I would like to be at any given time and change that. So if I would like to be an emo or a, a girl or a tween or my grandfather or wear space outfits, just like Spielberg's Ready Player One, it unleashes the ability for you to be not constrained by the physical world. And that both goes for self-expression and creation. I agree with you. I think that our, our minds work with what we know. And since this is, you know newish, new to some, not new to others, depending on your exposure and age and experience. The, the less familiar you are with something, the more you're going to try to familiarize it. So you're going to want to have a blueprint to recreate. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what's happening. 
and it's like using part of your brain. You only use so much of your brain, but but this really has the the capacity to go beyond what we already know, which is very difficult for people to understand and create. So that's where I think you'll start to see you'll back into some of your questions about walled or not, because the ones that can create the unknown, people will want to join. So the creators will be able to say, come in. It's awesome. I figured it out, but you have to, you know, now this is my house. That's a whole other conversation. You lose people at NFTs, people's eyes gloss over. It's a, it's a, these are tough concepts for people to really understand, but in the intangible of it, you've made it tangible. So I'm happy to get into some of the comments today that we shared about, which is, I want to show you something and ask you something. So we talked a bit about the Samsung announcement, and I want to ask you something as it relates to their announcement, where Meta is, in Meta, the, Meta, the Metaverse is. And maybe get maybe this can be a good tentpole in which to have the discussion. So I'm going to show you something very familiar to you and everyone else. Okay. So this is the adoption curve, right? So for some, so so I think based on what you said is like what Samsung said was like a laggard in the laggard area. Like, why are you doing this? It's a marketing ploy, right? But some might argue that metaverse is actually still here. And that's why I think there's a lot of kind of, dis, you know, confusion about it. So what are your thoughts on my little chart here? And do you think it's stupid? Well, I think you're absolutely right in terms of there's a curve. I don't know if it's a bell curve, to be honest with you, that I would have to. Uh, so my gut says it is not a bell curve, although it will probably become a bell curve because most things equalize to that. So what I would say about the metaverse, which is interesting, is unlike the World Wide Web, which is probably the best analogy of understanding like this massive shift that no one knew anything about. 25 years ago, I worked in Silicon Valley for Microsoft. And if someone was to say to you, what's the internet? You would say, it's this place that exists. And people would say, where? And you'd go, everywhere. And you'd say, well, who owns it? And you'd say, nobody. And you'd, people would say, so what can you do there? And you'd say, everything. And that was a wildly unsatisfying, very confusing answer. But it was all true. Until someone started putting Amazon and you know AOL and whatever the early versions of those things were, people were like, oh, I get it. It can be this. And then someone said, well, it can be more. So then they started putting social media on it, right? Like, and it's all that stuff. So that's a really good analogy. So here we are. And someone says, what's the metaverse? Who owns it? How does it work? And the answers are the same thing. The difference is the thing about the metaverse is Roblox, which for many people is a brand new word that they never heard of six months ago, has actually been around for 15 years, actually 16 years. So the thing about this is, which, which, which why I disagree with that bell curve, is that I'm not talking about, well, will laser discs replace VHS? I don't know. It's a new technology. We're talking about things that have been occurring for almost decades, but below the radar of mass media. 
And it's only just because Meta, Facebook, changed its name, did all of a sudden this jump into, as they say in firefighting, jump the fire line to become a publicly consumed idea that most people are now like, what is it? But when you look at it, let's just take Roblox. It's not a small little thing where 5 million people are using it. 53 million people use it a day. Two-thirds of every 9 to 12-year-old across the entire United States play it monthly. So just because you're discovering it as a 40 or 50-year-old marketing executive doesn't mean it hasn't existed. And that's what's different about this versus the internet. Understood. Understood. So let's talk about virtual brand group because with this media-driven higher-level awareness, brands are starting to go into the metaverse and they're working with you guys. So walk us through that. How does that work? Well, it works very simply. At first, last year, we had to reach out to brands and say, hey, this is a thing. You should get to know it. As soon as Meta announced, it became a little bit more of an inbound business. As soon as we launched Forever 21, it's been a tsunami of interest across the board from every type of brand. Because as I said earlier, it's very confusing to know what to do, how to do it, and when to do it with whom. And so we specialize in doing that. And we are building out the metaverse for a dozen different companies across five different sectors. And you asked before whether we're a service. And the reason why I hesitated to not answer the yes, no, is because when I think of a service, I think more of an ad agency, a middle person that delivers something that you then run. We are operators. We are, so the best analogy I can use is if you found out today that there was life, you can put businesses on the moon and you were Ferrari or or Forever 21, I would come to you and say, look, I've been living on the moon for a very long time. I understand zero gravity and all these things and you don't. So give me the license to operate your business on the moon because the moon has a lot of very different ways of operating. You have Mm -hmm. zero gravity and you have different consumers and the different lifestyles. And instead of you trying to figure this out, I have already figured this out and I am an expert in that. So partner with me, give me that license just like you would if you were opening up in China or some other country or the moon and we will translate your business into this world, which is nuanced and different, not only on Roblox, but Roblox versus Sandbox, Sandbox versus NFT. And so we provide the expertise to operate your business on an ongoing, sustainable way for the next 10 or 20 years in this world. Understood. Understood. And so, and your platform, are they called platform? Is Roblox referred to as a platform? It is indeed. Okay. And you're platform agnostic. You'll kind of assess and make the decision based on the objective, the retailer, and what might be that forward look, because sometimes you don't- Slightly, but not. More along the lines, most retailers or brands don't have an objective of what the metaverse is. What their objective is, hey, we want to be there because we want to be a first mover. We want to be there because we think we can make money. And so the there is what we define. And so they look to us 
to define how best to do that. And okay. that's how we figure it out. So I have a question about that, but I came up with another word mashup because that's uh, just what I do. Let's let's fun. try this one on for size. Okay. How do, for 10 how points. Do we, Go ahead. How do we feel about omniverse? Have we heard that? Omniverse. Hmm. Metaverse and omni for retailers where they're they're rounding out that omni experience and they add the universe of metaverse. Look, I am a big fan of jargon, and you may have just stumbled upon a iconic word that will become the lexicon. And if you do, I would highly recommend you trademark it. What I would say is this: um, Omniverse, uh, an Omni retailer who has X Y Z number of places to sell, the metaverse is not just another sales channel. It is a redefinition of the way you think about the entire sales channel. So your, your clever phrase, I think, is a limiting factor. And so if I may counter-program that for you. If I understand what you're suggesting is you've got e-com, you've got retail, and you've got omniverse. That means it's a lane on a circle of X number of options. And what I would say to you, and this is something we have invented and we actually trademarked, it is called the infinite loop marketing. I am dying to get into that. Perfect segue. I want to know everything about that. So the beauty of the metaverse is that it is not I am shopping in a store or I am buying on e-commerce, which are two separate things. Those are completely different things. Now, yes, sometimes you walk into Best Buy and you price check Amazon before you buy it. But generally speaking, you are in a store, you are looking at a catalog, or you're, you're, you're doing discrete items. The, the beauty of the metaverse and the innovation of infinite loop marketing is that you can coexist in the physical and the virtual simultaneously and the physical and the virtual work simultaneously together in a gamified loop of pushing people to take action that does not exist in your segmented retail e-com. And I can explain what I mean by that, but that's the setup to what infinite loop marketing leverages. Okay. All good things. Now make sense of it. Here's an example. If you go on to Roblox and you buy and you enter the Forever 21 store and you see an item that you would like to personalize that you feel represents you, we will issue a code in that game. That code will unlock several things. One, other experiences in the game. Two, a discount or benefit in the real world. So buy a hat from Forever 21 in Roblox, receive a 15% discount on Roblox on Forever 21 Ecom, okay? Or in store. When you go to Forever 21 right now, for the first time in the history of the world, you will see fashion items Here's this jacket that I'm wearing. And next to that item, you will see a Roblox avatar 
so that you can purchase the real world version and the avatar version separately or together, right? Mm -hmm. Same place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of one have the same look. So you buy an item in Roblox. It gives you a coupon to buy something in in the Forever Twenty One flagship store in Times Square. That then triggers a new coupon that is tied to that one store. If you collect X number of coupons from Y number of stores, the Times Square, the Fifth Avenue, the Chelsea store. That then unlocks a new experience in Roblox Forever 21, which then pushes you to go on a quest to unlock a series of other coupons, which will then unleash IR physical items in the real world that are unique to you that then does back and forth and back and forth. And so the infinite loop is the idea that we have both connected things infinitely and we have gamified the experience. Okay. Okay. I get it. And I th I think it is a it's uh the Z it's the Z it's the uh Z axis. <laughs> there, done. Yes. The Z axis. I need Z -axis. I need people to like just have the one thing. Omniverse, you didn't like it, okay? You know, meta is better, whatever, but you're talking about the Z axis. And I think that that's very digestible and familiar and welcome because the thing about the retail industry, and I know you've been in the tech side and I've been in the tech meets retail side is it's ever inventing itself. And this is a amazing evolution of the retail industry. So I'm gonna get it back to you or give it back to you to see if there's anything else that you want us to cover. I did have a question on the on the your license agreement per se. Do you own the complete quote unquote creative or objective since the retailer is like, do this, okay? Or or and, and do you own it entirely? at the moment or do you see yourself partnering with like a bbdo and saying like okay we're going to fit into like this really big strategy and we'll be like the little kid kind of like running all over the place and doing this different type of interaction but it does still bubble up or funnel into a bigger idea i don't know how it's worked itself out for anyone else but i'll tell you how it's working itself out for us the inbound calls we are getting, which are principally from either the CEO or the president of global companies, is we don't want to go to our agency. We don't believe our agency understands what you're talking about, and they're not going to be the ones to execute it. You are actually executing it. So when they come to us, they say, here's what we, we want to be there. We're not sure how to do it. How do we do this? What do we do? And when? how quickly can we do it? And so... Yes, I'm sure that, uh, you know, somebody might want us to talk to their agency. But so far, I have spoken to in the last four months, 78 different global brands, all of which you would know well. And not one of them has ever said, we want you to talk to our agency. They said, you're the one who's doing it. We want you to help us do it. And so what we do is we partner with them and say, look, here's the way to do it. Here's how we recommend doing it. And here's and, and they are along for the ride 
throughout this whole thing, because again, part of the fun thing about this is there is nobody who says, oh, I've been doing this for 10 years. I know this strategy. Like, so what do I know? I know that I just launched one of the most successful Roblox launches all of all time last year in terms of the most press, the most innovation. And people come to you and say, how did you do that? And so, sure, in five years from now, when things settle down, I'm sure that will fit in that world. But for right now, the first mover companies like Jamie Salter, who is a genius at ABG, who has given us very broad range to support his team. They're like, you know, Roblox, we don't know a thing about it. So even when it comes to fashion, they're like, this is what's selling here. But if you think you can make better versions of stuff, then make them. And here's the fun thing. When we make something new and innovative using local Roblox designers who are icons in their own world to make a new item, then we have the ability to go back to Jamie and say, hey, we just sold 20,000 items of this beanie in one week. You should make this item. And they then relicense those items and are going to start manufacturing those. So there is this virtuous loop of what we do is the world's greatest R&D lab, which basically costs a brand nothing because we build out what we think is going to work under their supervision to make sure we're within their guidelines, but using this marketplace, which is very different. And for them, that is wildly enticing. Ah, that's a that's an amazing story of test and react, which has traditionally been very difficult for retailers. And if 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 authentic brands is and having manufacturing capabilities where they can respond quickly, they it'll be a huge uh, accomplishment. And we didn't touch on UGC, which user generated content for those of you out there who are listening, which seems to be a major component to this entire, the success of this, which is tapping into the right people to create the right things, which is as we sort of, as a segue, we're not really looking at a creative director, so to speak. We're really looking for user-generated content and experience and product. Let's touch on that for a second. Why don't you share your thoughts on that? Yeah, so let's just define user-generated content because obviously that's been a term that's been around since the advent of social media, YouTube, et cetera. And simply that just means that instead of a brand creating it, somebody who is an average person, me or my daughter or somebody else is making content. In, 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 let's just take Roblox as an example. So there are there is an entire ecosystem that this past year earned about $650 million from Roblox payouts that's net after the platform's uh, you know, percentage to created items on Roblox. Um, you know, so this could be a scarf or earrings or whatever it is. And it could be someone like my 10-year-old daughter, or it could be someone more, you know, sort of organized like me as a company. And one of the things about it is, and this is really hard, the people who create things typically create a single thing or a few things really well. So when I went to Roblox, I said, look, you make 8,000 SKUs per month. If you were to reproduce this in Roblox, you need to know who the best scarf maker is versus earring versus purse versus hat. And those are all very different people. 3D clothing is also a different thing than 2D clothing. 
And so we have gone into this world and we have met the top designers across all of these things who all work for us, the, some of which make on their own two to $5 million a year selling virtual scarves, hats, earrings, caps. And that's how we get the best design across the ecosystem. So that's your, that's your, uh, that's a little bit behind the curtain on how you're staying ahead and executing quickly these initiatives. And as you field these 78 calls that I'm sure will grow after people see this, maybe they will, then you'll, you're, you, you know, it's a, it's a fluid, it's a fluid operational process for you because you can add as much as possible as you want. May I add something also to this idea? Because one of the things I think a lot of comp like a lot of companies miss, you know, back to your Samsung and my criticism of their launch today. One of the things that companies are very good at doing is what we like to call in the business colonizing a platform as opposed to building community first platforms. So when you get a large company, a lot of these people on Roblox who have been playing for 5, 10, 15 years see a brand come on and they roll their, you know, sort of like South by Southwest or the Sundance Festival used to be a really creative, effervescent, you know, raw experience until it became a big corporate branding experience. And it sort of sucks the life out of it. Like the gay so pride parade in New York like the gay pride parade or comic-con right it went from being a bunch of a community that were passionate and outsiders to billion dollar companies spending money on lavish parties it lost its authenticity right so roblox is a community first driven platform and so rightfully so when they see nike or vans or forever 21 they're like is this just another money grab is this just another company colonizing our world and pushing us out? So one of the things that we specialize in is, and this was when we went to Roblox to work with them because they've been phenomenal partners because we partner with them to have them give us special access to various different mechanisms that help make the experience better. The quote from one of their executive is, everybody comes to us and says, we're a big brand, Give us someone to make something and we'll just put it up. And I went to them and said, we've spent six months meeting the top game developers, the cap designers in this, that, and the other thing. We are a bottoms up company. And the quote was, Justin, we've never had a corporate brand ever go bottoms up as opposed to top down. And so as part of that commitment, not only do we work with top UGC creators, but if you go into the Forever 21 shop in our experience, you will see we dedicated an entire section of the flagship store to what we call Collab 21. It is a section where we feature the top Roblox designers every month and what they do so that they can get known and promoted. And sometimes it's the people who sell the most. So for right now, there's a wonderful designer named Beism who is the top design seller in all of Roblox history. There's another wonderful designer named Jazzy or Builder Boy or Ocean Orbs. Next month, we will have a whole new set of people, some of which 
are undiscovered talent. So if you think in a retail sector, it's a store within a store meant to highlight the platforms, communities, people that are doing interesting and innovative work that we are using our brand to elevate other people that don't get that type of promotion and exposure. That's incredible. That's a really interesting twist on the user-generated content and authenticity. And authenticity has really changed the narrative in consumer behavior. TikTok, of course, is a big story under that and how kind of the move away from the polished Instagram to the Z, the Z axis and other types of engagement. Justin Wells Hochberg, I want to thank you. You give good interview and you're doing a very interesting thing for brands that, as I said, an industry in really kind of dusting off a lot of cobwebs and the ones that are getting out there are the next hundred years um, of retail or 20 years or however, everything gets shorter and shorter. But they're more than likely to lead the charge into the next version of what retail is. I'll leave you with you adding any closing remarks. Happy to hear. I'm hanging on every word. Well, Christine, as always, I, your reputation preceded you and to pay you the compliment. Not only do you give good interview, but you actually are very adept at positioning things into a very consumable way. And I think that is, as I circle back to the initial premise, confusion is really the name of the game for those who are not necessarily in the weeds. And I think the way you think about things is very user-friendly. So that makes a very big difference when you're trying to get people to onboard. Let me end with this note, which is one of the ways that we actually have found to be very successful to onboard people in a confusing world is the following sales pitch, which is we, the reason why we landed on Roblox as a uh, ecosystem to start with is because most C-suite executives have kids that are between nine and 15. And so my first question to a C-suite executive that asks me what we do and how we do it is, do you have those age kids? And then they say, yes. And then I say, let me give you one word. And they say, Roblox. And they said, stop. My kid won't stop bothering me just like my didn't at the beginning of pandemic. And so what makes it very easy for people to digest is not that they understand it, but they know their kids understand it and they know that they're spending money on it. And so it becomes a very easy thing for them to see because they see the joy on their children's face when they connect with people. And this is an anecdote that I really love. I had a CEO come to me who we're working with who works for a very exciting company that anybody as would be excited to work with. And they said they were beaming. And I said, what happened? They said, my kid, who's 14, asked for the first time what I do for a living. I said, why? He said, because he heard that we were working on something with you on Roblox. And when you start with that magic, all of a sudden, it goes from a marketing exercise to a retail exercise to a revenue exercise to a viscerally personal experience. And what here is how we did this. And this was a little bit of a secret. When we launched Roblox, we actually put 
the top executives, kids as NPCs in the games and didn't tell them. So when they played the game for the first time, they ran into themselves. And the smile on the face of that kid and that parent having their child immortalized in the metaverse as a mayor or a firefighter or a strongman, that alone will sustain the relationship between the parent and the child, the company and virtual brand group. And that's really emotionally important, but it's also very savvy marketing. It's, it's, it's genius. I think it's the first time I've ever heard the word visceral in one of my interviews and I'm here for it. I'm all about that because that passion, that level of understanding how the deep emotional, the visceral connection is going to drive retail for the future. You, sir, are a futurist. And I thank you for the compliments. And I'm going to say goodbye to our listeners and thank you. And I'm going to ask you to stay on. Fantastic. Everybody out there, have a meta day. Mm-hmm.